0: We've been in this series of rest for the last several weeks now. And we started it out just by uh, looking at how two different women, two sisters, uh, dealt with Jesus. You had Mary on one hand who just sat and listened to Jesus, just was enjoying Jesus. And then on the other hand, you had Martha, her sister. And Martha was distracted. She was busy. She was serving. And Jesus calls her out. And he says, hey, Mary's chosen the better portion here. And then we looked the next week at Matthew chapter 11 where we saw that we can be burdened in two different ways. We can be burdened in such a way that we're going to be heavy laden, we're going to be weary, or we can have the easy and light burden that Jesus offers. In the third week we we looked at how do you go from being weary and heavy laden to having the easy and light burden of Jesus? How do you go from being Martha to being Mary? And we saw that it's kind of wrapped up in this whole thing of habits of spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines. And if you've been around the church for a while, you usually see uh, spiritual disciplines about Bible reading and about prayer, and those are so important. But what we've wanted to do is really see how do we slow down? How do we sit? How do we listen? What is the easy and light burden of Jesus? What are the habits that we can adopt to get there? And so we looked uh, the last three weeks at the Sabbath, And this week we're looking at a new discipline, a new practice, uh, the practice of silence and solitude. So let's pray before we start. Father in heaven, uh, we need you. I I need you now. I know it's Thursday afternoon and uh, all of us aren't going to be listening to this for three more days. Uh, But Lord, I I need you now in this empty sanctuary. And Lord, my friends need you now as, uh, uh, as they are alone worshiping or as they're with just one other person or as... They're just with uh, rambunctious children. (laughs) Lord, I pray that you would be with us and meet us here. Feed our souls, in Christ's name, amen. You know, one of my favorite things to do as a pastor is to talk to visitors at some point after the service. I mean, sometimes it's directly after the service, and other times it's just the next time I see them. And I always ask them, hey, what was that like for you? And sometimes, you know, there's this flattery that happens where they're like, oh, Marsh, that was a good one. Uh, or they're like, man, that music guy, he sure can kill it. And, you know, the flattery's fine. Uh, Complimenting Justin, I love when Justin gets praised, but uh, I always get to another question, and it's, hey, what was uncomfortable for you? What was different? What was weird? And uh, probably the most frequent thing that's said is probably a tie. Some people say it's the greeting of peace, and a lot of others say it's the moment of silence after our confession of sin. It makes sense. Uh, I read a study this week that, the average American begins to feel awkward in silence at the four-second mark. Four seconds. So maybe you're right there with, this, with these visitors who think that our silence and our worship is weird. And silence doesn't have a lot of positive connotation. There are not a lot of positive vibes around the word silence. But there's a word, a word that's kind of a cousin to Silence. And it's the word mindfulness, and mindfulness is all the rage, isn't it? And when something becomes all the rage, you know what happens? It becomes big business. And mindfulness is a big business. Uh, one of the leading mindfulness apps that you can download on your phone is called Headspace. Headspace in 2019, had 50 million dollars in revenue. 50 million dollars. And if you think that this whole thing of mindfulness just sounds like a hippie practice, you're wrong. And I was wrong as I began to look at this stuff. It's something that corporate executives are being coached in. It's a class that's being offered as an elective in most medical schools. It's also mindfulness is being incorporated in K-12 curriculum across the country. So it's a big deal, and it's a big deal because it works. It works. There's been good research done that shows that mindfulness helps alleviate chronic pain, that mindfulness helps decrease anxiety and depression. But it's not the first time in human history that something like mindfulness or silence has been promoted. In fact, almost all world religions encourage silence in some form or fashion. And Christianity' is one of them. Christianity Uh, Encourages silence as a means to connect with God. And here are some important passages in the Christian scriptures that champion silence. Let's just read a few. Exodus 14 14. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Psalm 62 1 For God alone my soul waits in silence, from him comes my salvation. Zephaniah 1.7, Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Now, these are just a few references. I could have given you a lot more. And the people of God in the Old Testament practice these. So when Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament, he practices them too. We frequently hear that Jesus goes up alone to the mountainside to pray, to be alone with his Father but he not only practices it, he also encourages his, fo- his followers in this way of life, this silence as a regular practice. And he talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's read just our, uh, our text for today, Matthew 6, verses 6 to 8. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So here it is in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking about some of the ways that we relate to God, some of these practices even. He starts out with giving, and then you have the section we're in right here with prayer, and then you have fasting after it. How we relate to God in these three ways. Well, in prayer, when he moves from giving to prayer, you would expect him to go right into the famous part of this passage, and it's the verses we didn't read. It's verses 9 to 13. It's the Lord's Prayer. But he doesn't go straight into what we should pray. He has to give us an on-ramp. And our on-ramp into the Lord's Prayer provides us a place and a motivation in verses 6 to 8. And the place is found in verse 6 when Jesus says, Go into your room and shut the door. You know what's going to happen if you go into the room, don't you? You know what's going to happen when you shut the door behind you. You're going to be alone. It's going to be very quiet. So how does that sound to you? It sounds pretty miserable to me. And Blaise Pascal, a 17th century French theologian, said this about being alone about being quiet, he says all the unhappiness of men arises from the one single fact that they cannot stay quietly in their own room. That's a bomb, isn't it? The place of being alone and being silent is one that we run from for all with all of our might. I think there's lots of reasons for that, but I think there's three big ones. I think the three reasons we run from silence and solitude all start with our faith tradition. Now, whether you're visiting us for the first time as a Presbyterian church in America or uh, whether you've been uh, in a Presbyterian church in the United States for your whole life, I don't know. But our faith tradition makes it hard for us to be silent and to be by ourselves. Now, our faith tradition has a lot of strengths. Uh, it, it champions the word, it champions theology, it champions action. And so our faith tradition is a, a very heady one. It's a very busy, it's a very wordy tradition. But it starves us of the mystery that's found in finding your Father who's in secret. It's our faith tradition, and that makes it hard. The second thing that makes it hard is our culture. Our culture is always telling us that we have to be on That we always have responsibility. There's always something to achieve. That there's always something to produce. And so so when we get alone, we feel like we're not producing anything. We're not achieving anything. We're not getting anything done when we're alone and in silence. But I think what God is asking us is, is that He's asking us if we really trust Him. He's asking us, hey, do you really trust me for these few minutes that I can carry out my purposes in your life without your direct involvement? He's asking us that question. So signs of solitude is really tough because of our culture. It's tough because of our faith tradition. Lastly, it's tough because of our own hearts. See, for many of us, we live busy lives because we have these haunting voices that come upon us when things get really quiet. So we always have a podcast on. We always have the TV on. We're always in a conversation. Because if we get too still, it's like a boogeyman jumps on us. And the frightened voices begin to whisper things in our ear. Maybe not even whisper, but they shout. They shout things like making us face the loss of a loved one. So we get busy, so we don't have to hear about that voice. Maybe a a different voice uh, for you is that there's this anger and this heartache from this incident that happened all these years ago. And when you get quiet, you have to be reminded of that pain. Or maybe when you get alone, you're faced with the shame of some poor choices that you've made at some point in your past. And for all these reasons and more, being alone and being silent just seems way too overwhelming. It's hard to even imagine what this might be like if we were to practice it. Sure, Jesus gives us a little picture here of going into a room and shutting the door behind us, but there's more that's in the Scriptures to help fill out for our imagination what this might look like for us. See, in our Old Testament reading that we heard earlier from 1 Kings 19, it's about the prophet Elijah. And in chapters 17 and 18 of 1 Kings, Elijah is really killing it. He's got some great achievements that he puts on his resume in those two chapters. He predicts the future successfully at the beginning of chapter 17. Then he raises a little girl from the dead. And then he has a, a, a face-off with these rival pagan prophets, the prophets of Baal. And he wins that battle bet- with those prophets and right after all these great achievements, all these great ministry successes, he gets a threat. And the threat comes from Queen Jezebel. And he, you would think that someone who's just had all these ministry successes and this great faith in God, he's a prophet, by the way, that he could face someone like Queen Jezebel. He's got God on his side, but he doesn't. For some reason, it scares him. He has this fear of failure. He fears that he just might lose. All he wants to do is win. All he wants to do is succeed. And he might not if he goes up against the queen. He goes from the mountaintop to the valley of despair. And he retreats a day's journey into the desert. When he goes into the desert, he asks God to die. It's a low, low place for the brother. And he falls asleep. And when he wakes up, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah and says, Elijah, I want you to go up on the side of the mountain and I'm going to meet you there. So Elijah being all rested up and hears the Lord and he goes on the mountainside. And he waits for God. And God sends a great wind to Elijah, but God's not in the wind. God sends an earthquake to Elijah and God's not in the earthquake. God sends a fire to Elijah and God's not in the fire. But one more thing passes by Elijah while he's standing there on the mountainside and it's a gentle whisper. See, God wasn't in the powerful displays of natural phenomenon. Rather, God was found in this quiet, gentle whisper. I think that those powerful phenomena represent what happens to us when we get alone. It's this metaphor for us. It's this chaos that's brewing in us with all of these voices are equivalent to the wind and the earthquake and the fire that Elijah experienced. But I also think that if we can hang on like Elijah did with those three natural phenomena, that we're going to get the same thing that Elijah got. We're going to get the whisper. And brothers and sisters, you want that whisper. There's just nothing like it. That's why Jesus tempts us with the language of incentive in Matthew chapter 6 when he says that there's a reward to be had. See, if you go into your room and you shut the door and you pray to your father it is in secret and you endure the fury of the wind And the earthquake and the fire within your own soul work through those disruptive voices, that inner chaos. There's a payoff. There's a reward. And it's communion with God. I I can't explain it. But that's what happens and that's what you're made for. Now, this is quite different than mindfulness. Mindfulness has its place. It does provide a sense of uh, healthy control. It does provide a sense of healthy peace. It does help us disconnect from the frantic pace of our culture. But what's different about the practices of silence and solitude is that the intent isn't to gain control and isn't to gain peace. The point is to gain God. It's to be with Him. And when you're with Him, you'll see that His presence is sweet, you'll see what Elijah found. See, what Elijah found is that he was just as loved and valued when he was in a place that wasn't so glamorous, the desert. And he wasn't in a good spot. And he was just as loved and valued there as he was when he was out in public killing it. And this is the place, the room, when you've got the door shut behind you, when you get your reward, that you experience that God is for you, that he's with you, and that he's in you. Now, I know it might seem scary to face those disruptive voices, those, the boogeyman who's going to come upon you. And that's real. I'm not trying to deny that, but I think there's another reason that we're afraid to go into that room and be with God. And I think it's that we have a faulty view of God. See, so many of us, we're used to being shamed and condemned when the parts that are unfinished in us, when they're exposed. And we think that if, when we get alone with God, that God's going to do the same thing to us, that He's going to shame us and He's going to condemn us, just like everybody else for what's wrong about us. And God knows that's what we're working with. He knows our theology's off. And that's why He proved it in history. That's why He proved it in real time with action. See, he sent his son Jesus into the world. And Jesus came and he performed much greater deeds than Elijah ever thought about. And he practiced a much more rich, willing devotion with the father than Elijah did. And those times were sweet. He was used to the whisper. He was used to the reward that came from being alone with his father. But then he chose a totally different experience. He chose rejection. He chose that inner chaos. And we see that when he sweats blood in the Garden of Gethsemane because he's heading to the cross. And when he heads to the cross, he experiences his first ever disconnection from his Father. That's why he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it's the first time that he doesn't know the whisper that he doesn't have God's full approval on his life. And why is that? It's because he took his sin upon us, our sin upon him. It's because he faced the rejection that came from his father. And he did all of that so that you and I, so that we can go into the room, that we can shut the door behind us, and that we can find our God who is in in secret and get the whisper and get the reward. Doesn't that stir in you a desire to go be with God? I hope it does. Otherwise, this practice of silence and solitude is just something else to add to your schedule, something else to work into your daily rhythm. But God's there, and He waits for you. But If you're like, Marshall, I'm ready to start this, but I need some handles. I need something to grab onto. I, I, I don't know what to do. I've never done anything like this before. Well, Let me give you a few tips. Uh, The first thing, uh, bring nothing into the room other than a pen and paper. This isn't a time to read your Bible, though, do that. (laughs) Um, This isn't a time to listen to music. This is a time to be silent and alone before God. And the first tip I would give you is give give yourself permission to take a nap. So many of us are so tired that we'll fall asleep. That's what happened to Elijah. When he went out into the desert, the first thing he did was fall asleep. And maybe every time you practice it for the first couple of months, you fall, always fall asleep. It's okay. You're tired. God will give you the rest that you need so that you can hear that whisper. Uh, two, I just start with uh, shooting for 10 minutes. 10 minutes is going to feel like an eternity, brothers and sisters. Uh, don't don't have ambitions here of 30 minutes or an hour, let alone a day or two days. But just start with 10 minutes. A third thing: I, use a short phrase to rein in your thoughts. I mean, not only are these um, uh, these painful thoughts going to come on you this this grief, this shame, uh, this sadness, but you're also going to think of all the things you forgot. <laughs> You're also going to think of everything that happened yesterday. You're going to start thinking about all the things you got to do uh, the rest of today and tomorrow when you get alone. And so I take a pen and paper in there and you just write down your distractions. And you have a, 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 a breath prayer, is what some people call it, is what I call it. Your breath prayer might just be something like, Help me, Jesus. It might just be, Speak to me, Jesus. It might be, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I mean, my word phrase is this, uh, Lord, make haste to help me. And that'll help center you to get back where you need to go. Now, this is going to be tough. It, it, it's not going to be a quick process for this to become a comfortable thing. It's going to be uncomfortable for a while. But after a while, you'll, your body will become used to this. Your soul will become used to this. It's not going to be a duty anymore. It's not going to feel like a discipline anymore. It's going to be a delight because you will be with your Father who loves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your promise here uh, that there's a reward. And so, Lord, I pray that as you, in some ways, dangle that carrot out in front of us, uh, that carrot of being present with you, uh, Lord, I, I pray that it would be more enticing to our souls than anything else we could imagine. We pray these things in your name. Amen.